Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, guys? It's an exciting time of the year for UFC 251. It's going to be one hell of a card, baby, and without a doubt, people are going to be looking to get in on the action, and we have the best place for you to go. My bookie, for the kind of guy who likes to bet a little to win a lot, Try a parlay, for instance, if you like a couple of the big favorites this week. Parlays are perfect because they let you bet multiple games together for a much bigger payout. My bookie has more lines and better odds for the player than any other sports book around. And if you join right now, my bookie will match your deposit halfway all the way up to $1,000, which means if you deposit two grand right now, you'll get an extra grand in free money to play with. All you have to do is use our promo code BLV, that's capital BLV, to activate the offer. Once again, that promo code is capital BLV to activate your offer from MyBookie. Bet, win, get paid, MyBookie. What's up, everybody? Today is Wednesday, June 24th, 2020, and we're talking to Fox Sports and ESPN play-by-play broadcaster David Gascon. David does play-by-play for both Fox Sports, Fox Sports Radio, as well as ESPN. He's the co-host of the Fifth Hour Podcast with Ben Maller on Fox Sports Radio. He's broadcasted at the college level and the minor leagues, and the pros. He's definitely one of the cooler guys I've gotten the chance to speak to. So let's talk to David Gascon here on episode 210 of the podcast presented by Belly Up Sports. Be sure to follow Belly Up Sports on Twitter and on the IG at, you guessed it, Belly Up Sports. And if you're into banging weights, eating steaks, and sleeping eights, head on over to MechaNutritionStore.com right now by using the promo code OSHO20. That's capital O-S-H-O-W-20 for $20 off your next order. Remember, spoils the goal, sizes the prize. David Gascon on the podcast right now. Everything good there? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess relatively speaking, they're doing some some pieces right now on teachers on Santa Monica. Santa Monica has been hit pretty pretty bad by rioters and looters and whatnot. Yeah. So, a little bit of an uncomfortable feeling with with a bunch of the people in that area. But yeah, it's a, it's a trying time, wild times. Where are you at? I am in the suburbs of northern New Jersey, so I am completely oblivious to anything that's happening in the real world. Um, near Morristown, so like the Mendham area, if you know where that is. I do not. Like I, I, um, I was in Jersey a couple of years ago when when Philadelphia won the Super Bowl, and uh, I was in Newark for a little bit. Went up to Hawthorne, and then um, and then yeah, I made my way down to Philadelphia. So didn't spend a whole lot of time there, but uh, but yeah, I was I was kind of curious, like where in retrospect uh, you were at, so. You're what? We, but, uh, was that the Eagles Super Bowl? Why were you in Jersey? Um, I had to go out there to cover some some basketball tournaments, ah. and um, I had, I had first got into New York, then went down to Jersey, and then covered these few events. It was like four, four events in five days, so I was out there, and then after that, I was done with that. Then it was on a Saturday, and then we went down to Philadelphia to go. Yeah, to basically go see the town, go visit. It was my first time there, so I took a train down and um, had a great time in Philadelphia. So it was great. I mean, I was only an hour, hour, hour and ten minutes on a train down to Philly. So we were like, screw it, let's do it. It was cheap, and we did that. And parted our butts off, and yeah, and, uh, 
gap. So, you know, I, I like the I like that area just in terms of the way that you know, transportation is able to get you from Boston to New York, New York Dennis, oh, yeah. to Philly and in DC and all that stuff relatively quick. Um, so yeah, I, that's the one thing. Obviously, we don't get here in Los Angeles. Everything's by car and everything's stuck in traffic. So drastically different. I I lived in a town. I think it was La Mirada, next to Whittier, kind of near. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, you know, uh, and I honestly, I, it was two summers ago. I loved living out there. I would, I prefer it out there. I guess it's just me growing up here and then you're, you growing up there. Uh, what, what, what do you think was your favorite place to, uh, visit? Like whether it was broadcasting or just visiting like outside of LA. Man, it's so tough. I, well, I, see, I'm one of the rare people that like, I know in my, in my broad circle that is actually, Traveled a lot in the United States. Um, California-wise, I, I mean, I love L.A. Pasadena, that's in L.A., but Pasadena's a great city. Uh, I've always been partial to San Diego. Part of it's because I went to school down there, worked down oh, yeah. there, and, and you know, made some great relationships down there with people that I still talk to this day. Um, outside of that, Scottsdale's a great city. Oh yeah. Um, being a being a baseball guy, I would go out there with a couple of buddies, like three or four of us would go out and we'd go to Scottsdale for spring training. So we'd go out there in March, we'd go from Tempe to Scottsdale, Scottsdale to Phoenix, and we just bounce around, like watch the you know, the Dodgers, the Cubs, um, San Francisco Giants, oh, yeah. uh, Diamondbacks and Rockies, so we'd be there. I like Philadelphia. Philadelphia only spent uh, uh, a day or two there. That was fun. I went to school in Boston. That is a wonderful city. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, St. Petersburg down in, in Tampa Bay, Florida. That's a, that's a chill spot. Um, I love Denver. I'm a huge Broncos fan. So growing up as a kid, <laughs> I, I always uh, wanted to play for the Denver Broncos. So I've been out there. Um, Las Vegas in the early 2000s was great. I don't know. It's, it's, it's a tough question. There's there's all kinds of different things about so many cities. Kansas City, the barbecue out there is great. Oh, yeah. is, a, is a spectacle. So, yeah, it's tough, man. It's a, it's a tough question because I, I truly do love a lot of the different uh, a lot of the different elements of this country that offer so many um so many things to, to any individual that goes traveling in and out. I, I will say that I I haven't been to, to Kentucky yet, so I haven't had the op- opportunity to to visit any racetracks or go to any <laughs> distilleries you know, for, for bourbon or whatnot, but uh, I, I do want to do that. that. That's a bucket list thing I want to do. I haven't been to Daytona yet. I haven't been to the Indianapolis 500 yet, so... Those are a couple things on the, on the sports docket that I definitely need to do as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, me growing up in Jersey, I got family in Boston, New York, D.C. I go to school in Phoenix at Grand Canyon University. You you covered uh, the uh, UCLA, or not UCLA, UC Riverside Athletics. Did you ever get a chance to hit up Grand Canyon Un- University while you were in Phoenix? So I, so I covered Grand Canyon, but that was when they... That was when they played CBU, Cal Baptist University. Right, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I covered them when they came out, but no, I haven't been out to Grand Canyon. Uh, it, was, it was great to see Thunder Dan, Dan Marley, take over as head coach when they 
when I got to prominence, you know, first off, yeah. but I, I haven't been out there. Um, just so funny, speaking of it, I can't really let it out, but I, I do like D.C. Washington, D.C. is a really fun city, and it, it almost reminds me of New York and Las Vegas. When you get into the city, there's just a buzz about it that's oh, yeah. so unique. It's a different kind of feel and energy. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure, like you said at the beginning, Santa Monica right now. Santa Monica was always crazy bumper-to-bumper traffic. I can only imagine what's going on right now, given everything that's been happening over the past few months against, like, the craziest time I think anybody's ever experienced, ever, who's alive on this planet right now. Are you guys actually uh, working in studio right now, or are you guys still uh, 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 self-quarantined? Uh, it's a combination of both. We have people like myself in studio. We have some of the talent that's outside, so it's a, it's a healthy combination of both. We're trying to practice, obviously, social distancing and, and doing a good job of that. And at the same time, it's, it's a challenge because you're, our platform at, at Fox Sports Radio is a 24-7 platform, so we're on all hours, every day, and you, we're operating a, a full full functional radio uh, show and, and network that you can't uh, yeah you can't turn off and you can't record. So yeah, we are uh, you know we got the combination of both. Yeah, I mean you got radio, you got the uh, the podcast on iHeart with Ben Maller, the Fifth Hour Show. What do you think? What do you prefer, podcasting or broadcasting? Because I've always said that they're like two completely different animals. Yeah, it, it's a good question. Um, there's nothing. There's nothing like live radio because you're flying without a parachute and you're flying without any safety net. Yeah, and when you go when you go live, there, there's nothing like it because you you have to commit to something, you have to walk the plank, and you have to say it. And at the same time, you, you have to you have to make sure that you're entertaining. It's one thing to, to be on television and to be entertaining because oftentimes you can use their videos and overlay and other support to to make the show entertaining. But radio, it's you, the microphone, a co-host if need be, and that's it. You get very little sound, and you just got to do it. So I do like radio in that sense. The one drawback, I think, is that and it's obviously just the business side, but you have the commercial breaks and the spots that take over. And so you lose some momentum, I feel like, in certain instances where you're really on a good topic. And you can't pivot. You have to hit the brake right. and, and pause for a couple minutes for, for commercials to air. And then you get back into the flow of things. And that's what I like about the podcasting world. Ben and I have a, a good relationship and a pretty strong understanding of each other. The, the unique thing that I have with Ben is that I know how much work he puts into his craft. And as a broadcaster, it doesn't matter if you're a host, a play-by-play broadcaster, an analyst, an anchor, you, know, you got to do the prep and you got to do the homework behind it. Right. And so for him to, for him to put on a four hour show every night, Monday through Friday, I've worked with him. And so I know the amount of, of work that he puts into it just to prep for a four hour show. And he's not a one trick pony. So he has right. good variance and, and good flow to his, his craft. And so I think when you work with somebody like that, you are 
you're not pressured, but you're compelled to, to elevate what you do. And at the same time, you have to feel natural and relaxed about it. But he had allowed me when I first started with the network to feel comfortable and to, I don't want to say ease me in, but to hit me with a bat, like, yeah. you can't be soft, you can't be soft with this because neither myself or the listeners that listen to my show are going to go easy on you. So yeah. you better get in or get, or get the hell out. So doing the podcast is great because we can go long form. We can talk about whatever we want. And then on top of that, you know, Ben and myself aren't just sports guys. We have other interests. We do other things. But we also like other stories that are out there that maybe are too taboo for a radio show on sports and even in, 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 on a news talk show. And we cover that. We cover that at a really good length because, let's face it, there's color, there's entertainment, there's hilarity involved in all of it. And more often than not, people are... are quite honestly afraid to even go towards some of the subjects that we that we touch up on oh, yeah. so we try to cover the entire canvas of, of that and the podcasting world allows you to do that and we do it quite well and i think on top of that we can get and bring in any guests that we want and talk about so many other things that are outside the sports scope because you get you run into the redundancy at times without asking some of the garden variety questions and that just becomes so boring and stale after a long period of time, especially if you're an avid sports fan where you know you'll hear the same answers and the same quotes and the same coach speak nine times out of ten. Oh, yeah. Especially right now when you can literally talk about three or four things. I think that was, like, the big th- thing I was going to ask you there when you brought it up. I mean, he's got a show four hours a day for five days. Like you said, you guys have your own show where you talk about multiple things. Do you guys have to run that by uh, people, producers, or other people before you go on uh, air and talk about it, if you are talking about certain things, whether it's, you know, films or music or other interests that you might have that aren't sports? So, so Ben and I produce produce our own shows. Okay. Um, so we don't, no, we don't do that. What we do like to do for the sake of, of content is we will never, we'll never elaborate on the subject. So, like, let's just say, for example, you and I are talking about, um, let's say you and I are talking about steroids, and we're talking about McGuire and Sosa, uh, and I pull a story that actually has inside information on who is injecting, right? Uh, you know, Sammy Sosa on steroids, is, I would only mention to you, yeah, let's, let's talk about steroids and Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire. But after that, I wouldn't go deep into anything else. The reason why is because you want to keep the conversation that you'd have on air organic. You don't want to have anything that is pre-planned, pre-programmed, because you start thinking about what you're going to say once the show comes, and you, you lose all all uh, organic effect of, of you know the entertainment aspect of right. it. So, uh, yeah, to answer your question, no, we don't we don't bounce anything off of other people. We communicate before we go on the air. Um, but after that, we have free reign from from our bosses to say and do what we want, and that's one of the benefits of where we work is we're not compelled to stick to a a single script, and we're not obligated to stay in a one lane. We can we can veer off in the slow lane, we can veer off in the carpool lane, and we can go as hard as we want as long as it's not obviously inflammatory or completely insensitive or just raw and raunchy that 
uh, someone would, would turn us away. Have you ever suggested something to him or vice versa, him to you, that you both kind of dis- – or one or, one or the other disagreed on? Just like, no, we, there's no way we could talk about that on the air. Uh, no, no. I, 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 throw, I, I like to throw a lot of different ideas at Ben, and, and part of it's just because his, his social life is drastically different from mine, given the fact that when his, when his show ends, it's usually at 3 a.m. Pacific – but the guy doesn't go to bed till like six or seven o'clock in the yeah. morning. So his his body clock is different than mine. Where I'm, you know, waking up at seven or eight in the morning. He's going to bed at that time. But I see some of the news early in the day that he does it. But I like to pound him with ideas because something will stick. And even if it doesn't, at least it gets his his mind working. I think the only thing that we don't agree on is that I try to watch a lot of TV shows, a lot of movies and push him that way. <laughs> and he's not a movie or TV show kind of guy. He likes documentaries. And so we'll, we'll discuss documentaries that are, that are on right now or that have come on in the past. And we'll elaborate on those. But outside of that, no, we have, I, I know him and he knows me yeah. in terms of our style that if you put, like if you put him in any kind of radio format, it doesn't matter if it's sports, pop culture, political. He's nuanced enough, or he's intelligent enough that if he doesn't know the answer, or doesn't know the subject, he'll pick it up shortly. And, and I feel like I'm the same way too. Well, I mean, that's great to have chemistry. And just to completely kind of switch lanes here again, aspiring sports uh, broadcaster. Why sports broadcasting for you? Because I know, like, your story going from on the field, being an athlete to in the booth and even doing some work in sales. How did all of that culminate for you? Well, I, I, uh, I, I envy those like yourself that are doing it now because yeah. I didn't, I didn't do it now. I, I, um, my light came on. They always said the light goes on for everybody at different times. And my light didn't go on until, um, until I had some life changing experiences. And so when, when I was in high school, I had thought of myself as, as a guy that wanted to play at the division one level in football or baseball. And I went to an extremely small high school, was not recruited at a high school because we didn't have the, we didn't have the, the technology then for, to market, you know, most kids now in high school can have, Games are showcased on Time Warner or Spectrum Sportsnet or Fox or ESPN. I didn't have that luxury, so although I felt I was a big fish in a small pond, I was obligated to go to a junior college to play football and continue my career. And I had the aspiration of, I I thought confidently I was good enough to play D1 major college football and if I got lucky and I stayed healthy, I can get to the NFL. Like, I just had that in my mind. I had that in my heart. Yeah. And that's what I wanted to do. And um, I tore my rotator cuff the second time in, in a three-year span. And the last time was against UCLA in a scrimmage. And that ended my playing career. And I was, you know, a couple years away from graduating. And I just thought, what am I going to do now? I, You know, sports is in my life. And how do I turn that thing off? And it was really hard for me. It was hard for me to get away from not competing because I love to compete. Yeah, I love to push. And I love to work out and those things. And I love the camaraderie, but I, I couldn't do that. And so I needed an escape. And, and I always, you know, 
I, I liked the elements of broadcasting, and I liked to talk, and I liked to tell stories, and I liked to socialize, and I thought, why not be a sportscaster? I love Vince Scully and Bob Miller and Chick Hearn and Dick Enberg and all these guys. Why don't I, I kind of echo that and, and follow that path? Well, that was all fine and dandy until I found out how much starting off in sportscasting and how much you make. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and at that time... I was working in sales. I was working for a health club back in the day called Valley Total Fitness, and I was making pretty decent money. So you add that on top of living in San Diego and being around, you know, good-looking women and having a social life, good money. I thought, well, why would I want to go and work in Montana making twenty or thirty thousand dollars a year when I can make a lot of money and live a quality life? and work in real estate and not have to do that. And the years went on, and I just found out the hard way that money wasn't the driving force for me. Mm-hmm. It never was, but it never was, but the, the comfort of the money was great. Right. And I, th- I thought, you know, I, I hit a time in my life where a long-time girlfriend of mine that I probably should have married, that didn't happen. Um got laid off from a job and then got turned away from buying a house and all that stuff came at one time. And so I thought I need to do what I wanted to do ultimately. And so I went to grad school and I, I got in and got out in 11 months. And, and from there it's been a, a hustle ever since. I mean, I guess everything happens for a reason. I mean, how difficult was it kind of, building your craft as a play-by-play guy. I mean, obviously, everybody's still evolving even today. I'm sure you're still evolving your voice today. But how how quickly or efficiently were you able to work on your craft as a broadcaster? Well, part of it's easy and part of it's hard. The yeah. easy part is that I grew up in a city where I had three Hall of Fame broadcasters. So while they didn't teach you this in school, I had... Ben Scully on my TV all the time. I had Bob Miller on TV all the time. I had Chick Hearn on my television all the time. And guys like Dick Enberg and Bob Costas and Al Michaels. So I was able to listen and watch these guys all the time. The The application of the craft is different because you want to know how they get to where they're at and also how they can perform at such a high level. And that means spot charts and spotters and color commentators and, and things of that nature. I was naked going into the industry. I didn't know how to do any of that stuff. Yeah. I didn't know how to, you know, operate, you know, going in and going out. My stand-ups were terrible. Um, my voice inflection was, was suspect. And although I feel like I have a powerful voice, how to craft all that and to speak in such a, an eloquent and measured tone, uh, it can be challenging, especially when you go from her radio to TV or TV to radio because there's obviously different speeds and different ways oh, yeah. you're calling a game. So uh, on top of all that, it's, it's a point where, where where do you start and how do you get in? And so I found a way to get in as a technical director and as a board op in San Diego at, at iHeart Media in San Diego for the San Diego Chargers flagship station at the time. And you're just hoping for a break. And so at that time, I was in the building every day for hours and hours and hours. And it's, it's a challenge, too, because don't forget, while you're trying to work on your craft, 
you're also trying to take take someone else's job. Oh yeah. And so people are people are obviously cognizant of that, and there's a lot of times people don't want to help you. People don't want to help you because if you succeed, they could be on the out, or if you succeed, you know there could be a jealousy component in that. And I didn't deal with with that per se, but I did deal with you know certain guys not wanting you to to climb. Right. Like they did, and they would suppress your work or suppress your efforts, and and not allow you to share some of the spotlight. Which for me is a little frustrating because playing in team sports and playing football and playing baseball and all these other sports, you know, you ride together, you win together, right. and you lose, you fall together. And so I, I like working in a team environment. So those things that came together, you know, they, they do come. And you know, I've, I've bounced around a couple different networks, some stations as well, and I, I have the luxury of working in sales, so I knew exactly how to take rejection, people saying no, yeah. or people saying that they love your work, and then just ghosting you, <laughs> or, or people just not responding to any kind of inquiry, and at the same time, I've, I've kind of kept my head down, and... Um, listen, I've done a lot of air checks. I've listened to yeah. myself on the air, and I send my stuff out to people for evaluation because, you know, I, I you're going to have friends and family to, to say they love your work, but they're not the ones writing the checks. Exactly. They're not the ones hiring you. So I, I needed critical feedback, and the fact that I can take the feedback and not complain of that or not get down about it is a, is a luxury that not a lot of people have or they haven't developed yet because it's a... Uh, it's a numbers game. You need one, but you need to go through a hundred people to potentially get that one. Yeah. Do you have any big, uh, uh, like your biggest mentors in broadcast? Like you mentioned the Vince Scully's and the Bob Miller's of the world growing up listening to broadcasters, but now that you're in the business, do you have any uh, big mentors that give you a hand like you just said? Um, that's a good question. I, I think that uh, you, you try to I don't want to say you mimic, but you try to, right. to emulate how people are. And I, I, I watch people on the national platform and listen to them more now than I ever did before. And and part of it's just the way that they infuse the English language. And so when I watch sports or when I listen to sports, I watch everything, football, basketball, baseball, hockey, soccer, the whole nine yards. But I'll also listen to English Premier League announcers, yeah. and and I'll listen to guys that are calling rugby, and so I try to take different things from from everybody to, to make it my own. Um, I don't have a mentor per se. Uh, yeah, I'd love to have one, but you know, in this game with where I'm at, the stage that I'm at, I, I feel like you're you're hunting for your own food, yeah. and so you like to have that. But I feel like people that are young and starting off, they can get that pretty easy because you got to learn the, the basics first before you, you get into the deep end of the pool. And I feel like I'm in the middle portion of the pool right now, so I'm really hunting with the sharks. Yeah. And like I said before, you're, you're competing with these other people, so it's, uh, it's almost like an actor that's trying to get that, that big box office picture it's not to say that I'm anything like that, but you get the DiCaprio's and the Tom Cruises and the Brad Pitt's of the world, and they're all pitted together. Well, I'm trying to get a seat at that table. Right. So 
I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be the best me that I can be at the same time, also be as, as uh, considered as possible and trying to make that approach. Well, on the topic of that, you mentioned that a few times where it's, again, not you're not an athlete, you're not on a team where everybody has each other's back, you're vying for each other's jobs. Have you ever seen that up close and personal, someone like, uh, I, want, I don't want to say sabotaging one another, but like a situation where it seemed that way? You, you see it a little bit. Yeah. Um, I've, I've, been, I've been fortunate to, to not, um, I've been fortunate not to experience that firsthand, and, and part of the reason why the disbelief in the relationship that I have, I've developed and, and the communication that I've had, and I, I think the, the way that I got into the industry working as a producer and a board op, you learn who treats you right, who treats you wrong when you're at the bottom of the food chain. And I always made a promise that if I ever got on air, I would never treat someone that's behind the scenes in a negative light because those people have the ability to make you look good or sound good, and they have the ability to make you look bad and sound ugly. Oh, yeah. And uh, and you owe it to yourself to rise above everything else. And so don't ever forget that whatever is happening behind the scenes while you're on air, you can't let that affect you because at the end of the day, your picture, your voice, and your image is a part of that package. And so nobody will ever know who was behind the scenes, but they will make sure that they don't forget who you were, call me game, call me event, whatever it may be. So um, I've been fortunate. I've, I've heard some wild stories and, and I've seen from afar um, people you know not not putting their best foot forward for whatever reason that may be but you know keep in mind everyone's in, on a different path in terms of where they're at structurally too so if you're not if you don't look at this as a passion project or if you don't look at this like it's your last game calling it you might act a little bit differently or if you don't like the person you're working with, you might you might be off per se. You might be off for a night or two and, and not yeah. wanna not wanna mix it up. So <laughs> um, it's it's unfortunate, but I, I think that the industry is so small that if you try to be like that on the regular, you'll get out of quick. Yeah. And you'll find yourself without a job rather rather fast. Have you worked with difficult producers or directors throughout your time in broadcasting? Like, was there ever a time where maybe the expectation level was a little bit higher with this guy as opposed to that guy? Um, I, I've worked with, I don't want to say difficult. I, I, was, I can say some that maybe aren't as communicative yeah. or some that are, are new. Um, when, you, when you work with new people, don't forget that they're also trying to learn and they're also trying to get their bearings down so they don't know the, all the ins and outs. They're susceptible to make mistakes, and then in turn it has a trickle-down effect to you too. Yeah. So uh, I always make it a point when I'm working, you know, if it's television, I always make it a point to, to talk to my producer, talk to my director, talk to the recording producers well before the event. So that's the day before, that's a couple of days before, and talk to them about anything or everything outside the event because if you can establish a rapport with them and talk to them like you guys are friends and then become friends, that makes the flight that much easier yeah. because 
you don't have to worry about what you're saying. They don't have to worry about what you're saying. And then you can kind of get into that dance when you're on air. Um, and at the same time, if you're thorough with what you're doing, then you've laid out some expectations. And at the same time, they know what you're going to be delivering and they can either match it, they can up it, or they can improve if they're lagging behind a little bit. Yeah. And what's the relationship with uh, coaches and players when you talk to them, either before the game, after the game? Because obviously what you say about them during the game has a reflection on your reputation. Yeah, I, I'm. There's a, there's a part where more so now of a lot of sportscasters, whether it's for a regional network or for a team, that you might feel that they're calling with a slant with the bias. Yeah. Um, it's, it's tricky. It's a tricky proposition, but I come into the mindset that you don't want to play your audience for a fool. And I like to call what I see or I like to call what I hear. And I'm going to give that to the audience too. So I'm, I'm perfectly candid with my coaches that I talk to or the schools. I've never been told not to say this or not to say that unless it's maybe an injury, like something that could be dangerous down the road or something right. unknown, which is understandable. But I don't pull any punches. I, I won't go out and light somebody up and just pound them in the ground and tell, you know, say something on air, like that's a horrible call right. or he's doing this, but he should be doing that. Nothing of that nature. I call things right down the middle, but I've always, always talked to, to coaches and done my best to to articulate some of the messages that they've given us because their their antidotes are, are great for on-air broadcasts and you want to establish those relationships because you never know what's going to happen down the road. And the longer you talk to these people, the more information that you'll get, whether right. it's for one game or ten games. And so you never want to burn that bridge. At the same time, you want to be honest. You don't want to be a pushover and you don't want to be taken advantage of either. So... I've, I've been fortunate enough to having been played, you know, they was placed in sports and playing in sports in the college that I, I'm point blank with these people, men, women, doesn't matter who they are. Yeah. I tell them flat out, hey, this is, you know, this is something I don't want to talk about. Can you give us some information? Or we're going to ask you about this. Can you get into that? And they have the option, obviously, of saying yes or no. Mm-hmm. And if they say no, so be it. That doesn't mean that we're not going to acknowledge it when we're on the air, but that's, that's to their, you know, that's their prerogative. Right. And obviously you had a lot of experience uh, growing up through the field, obviously minor league baseball with the Bakersfield Blaze. What What's it like working in, in minor league baseball? Because obviously you got to do the play-by-play, you have media relations, you're doing interviews, press releases, uh, yeah. working with the players. Like how... Difficult, fun, and I guess humbling is it working in minor league baseball? Uh, I guess the difficult part is is the lifestyle and the diet. Oh uh, yeah. When you, you know, when you when you work in minor league baseball, we had two days off a month. That was it. Two days off a month, and you're playing 140 games. Oof. And the diet the diet's challenging because we were there usually 10 hours of the day minimum, and you know, you're not typically cooking for yourself and you're eating fast food or, or you're eating out or you're eating other food that's not necessarily prepared for you. And so you gain a lot of weight 
us, you're, you know, I have a chance to work out in the morning times or even work out with the team when they'd head to their local gym. But outside of that, that was that was the biggest thing. Um, it, it's good in the sense that you can establish a relationship with the coaches and the players for an extended period of time, and you can get inside stories and inside information that people on the outside won't get. And then on top of that, when you're at that level, there is an expectation that they're going to go to AA and AAA rather quickly and eventually make the big leagues. And so when I was in Bakersfield in 2016, I would venture to say that half of those guys made it to AAA. They all advanced, though, and so a portion of them were cut, but they all advanced to a higher level. Yeah. And it was good to see because, you know, the, the environment that the Seattle Mariners had crafted in their farm system was that there was an expectation that you're going you're gonna to show up and, and, and sell out. Otherwise, we're getting rid of you. And it was a great level of competition because these guys, they worked their, their collective asses off and yeah. it was on full display on the field. And so um, I'm, I'm a baseball guy. I mean, I love hockey. I love baseball. I love basketball. I love hockey. But baseball guys can talk about the game for such a long period of time. And there's really an art to calling a baseball game because it's you and the microphone, and it is a lonely feeling for 9, 10, 11, <laughs> 12 innings. Like, you need to make sure that you're really in-depth with your homework because if you're not, you're going to run out of material by the time you get to the third inning. Oh, I'm, I'm sure. I mean, how, is it, how is it dealing or, I guess, working with players at that level, I guess, advanced uh, single leg? Because obviously those guys not far away from their college playing days. Just working with college athletes myself, you, you've done uh, plenty of college uh, athletics as well in broadcasting. How difficult is it uh, kind of communicating with the younger players as opposed to the more professional guys? Well, it, it kind of it brings you back to school. It, yeah. it brings you back to when you were in college, and, and it brings you back to the uh, sometimes the sophomoric attitudes, but they look at you just like you look at them. They, they want to know what you're doing. They want to know how you got to where you're at. And at the same time, you're kind of curious about them. Um, there's not a major age discrepancy for me just yet, especially at the, for the minor leaguers. So don't worry about that. But you, you do you do look at them as, wow, these guys are 24, 25 years old. They got a healthy signing bonus. Now let's see how they act. Now let's yeah. see what they do with their money. And um, it, you're, you're just curious because you only hope for the for the best for them because once you get a shot like this, you get drafted, you get those signing bonuses, now you know you're on the clock and then you're a, you're a paid employee and you know you're one injury and one call up away from getting into the show and a lot of these guys can sense it. And what's your take on the whole baseball situation right now? It seems like they're playing, then they're not playing. I really don't trust anything I see in, in the media anymore with baseball. What's your whole take on the whole MLB situation? Well, it's unfortunate. And yeah. The reason it's unfortunate is because they're playing ball in Korea. So oh, yeah. You have, you have what's going on in Korea. These guys are playing baseball. There's social distancing going on. Um, you know, you, you talk about the game itself. You're up 90 feet up the third, third and first base lines. There's your distance right there. And, you know, from now to home plate, like, what are you talking about here? 
So there's a great deal of distance. And whenever you don't know the answer, the answer is always money. Oh, yeah. And that's what it comes down to for the owners. That's what it comes down to for the players. The disheartening thing about all this is that it's happening not in a year that these players are striking, but it's happening in a year where there's a, a pandemic and a major downturn. So we have over 40 million Americans that are without jobs being displaced and laid off and terminated. And you have billionaires and millionaires fighting over large sums of cash. And it has a trickle-down effect because the farm systems now have been decimated. And then on top of that, you're looking at local cities, small and big, and major markets that carry television packages for MLB that are displacing employees because that was the bulk of their inventory for the year. So you have these producers, these directors, these PAs, these editors that can't work because there's no games being played. So it, it really it hurts everybody around, and it's unfortunate. And, and you, you want to be as proactive as possible, but now we're talking about something that the thought was there in January and February. It was accelerated in March. And now as we creep closer towards July, they haven't come to an agreement. This comes down to leadership on both ends, Rob Manfred and, and Tony Clark. Yeah. And you hope that both of them just, they say, shut up and sign on the dotted line and let's agree to it. And, and they have it. Um, would I be sad if there's no season? Absolutely. Would I be shocked if there's no season? Absolutely not. Yeah. Um, you, you think about the way that the negotiations have gone back and forth. Players say they're ready, but they're not really. And then on top of that, they need three weeks of spring training before they get their sea legs underneath them. So yeah. we'll find out. I mean, it's a tricky situation because... Uh, uh, what the CBA is coming to an end after the 2021 season. I mean, it, it seems like that there could be a chance. I don't want to say it but and jinx it, but there could be a chance that we could see another strike after the 2021 season if things keep going the way they are. Well, the other thing, too, is that the news that had broke last week about the union getting together and them talking about what was going on is after Turner Sports and Major League Baseball struck a deal for an extension of an agreement, that would pay them, um, I, I believe it was $480 million a year. Yeah. And, and so it was a bump in revenue on television rights. And so that's a, that's a deal that would take them through 2028. It's a billion-dollar deal that, that they're getting and still no ball. I know. If, if, if anybody, I, I could imagine, like, there's a handful of owners. They said, I think, around eight owners that don't want to play baseball, or at least that's the speculation that there's a few owners out there that don't want a 2020 season. One of them's got to be Jim Crane, because the Houston Astros, for me, I thought they were going to get slammed this year. For me, I don't know about you, what your take is, but it seems like they're probably going to get off the hook when it comes to just fans bashing them throughout the season. Well, don't forget, too, they escaped the, the great blue, and that's that's the All-Star game, which was supposed to be played at Dodger Stadium this yeah. year in Los Angeles. So they avoid the public humiliation from Dodger fans All-Star weekend. And then on top of that, if you have no interleague play, you're not getting the Dodgers um, if they if they were coming together for that. 
and of course you'll you'll get some heat with the Angels. Uh, the Angels were supposed to be pretty decent this year, so you know we'll find out. But yeah, you you miss a lot of things now, and, and don't forget that even if there is no season, uh, Jeff Linnell and AJ Hinch would be able to get back to work next year. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see. And again, uh, just a couple more questions for you. I don't want to take too much of your time. I wanted to go back to you for a second with your time on radio, TVs, play-by-play. Have you ever had any, I guess I'll call them blunders, any really bad broadcast blunder, kind of a mistake that came out? Whether it was like accidental or just like verbiage that just came out wrong and it just sounded wrong. Because for me, like just in college, I've had a few times where I, I think I said sacrifice blunt instead of sacrifice bunt in a softball game or like uh, shot cock instead of shot clock in a basketball game. Have you had any like really bad blunders? Yeah, I've had, I've had one graphic one and I had oh. one that got the nerves, the nerves got the better me. Um, in fact, I, I mentioned earlier that my stand-up said sucked. When I first got into it, when I when I first got on air in TV at Fox Sports West, the day of the event was a soccer match for the championships in the Big West Conference and women's soccer. Um, the television strike that we were operating on had crashed, and so we had no video replay, we had no graphics, and we had nothing that would allow us to to do a what they they call um, like a tape to record open and so I had to go live on the open and I was really nervous because I'd never go we, I, at that point I'd never gone live on an open before everything was taped out live to tape and on top of that we're doing the game at Cal State Fullerton so where we broadcasted from the press box was different we had to go all the way down these big flights of stairs down to the field the door open so I had to race down to the to the field to do the open with my color commentator. One take, a one take only, without tripping over myself, and we had never worked together. And I, I sort of stuck the landing. Like it, it wasn't the cleanest open, yeah. but it was good enough. And then I had to race up within sixty seconds to go upstairs and get back on the air, and then introduce the starting lineup. <laughs> so I did that while I was breathing hard, but. I had to go back down the field for half and I was interviewing the uh, commissioner of the conference and when we were trying to wrap up the interview, my producer was talking into my ear of the IFB and she was telling me to, to lock out, close out, go to commercial break and I didn't know if it was hard times or not so I rushed my exit with the interview with him as soon as he had mentioned uh, or as soon as he had said something to answer one question, I told him thank you for his time, and I put the microphone to his face so he can say thank you or whatever. And as he was saying thank you and he was continuing, I pulled the microphone away and just turned away and I said, "All right, guys, let's throw it to break." As he was still talking to me, uh. so I, I, I cut him off pretty bad, and uh, it, was, it was pretty embarrassing. Nobody said anything to me, but I felt embarrassed. And then another time, I remember uh, I was doing an opening kickoff for the third quarter of a game, and I mixed kicker and punter. So I, uh, I 
little graphic with my language, <laughs> and um, yeah, it uh, you, you spell something out, and uh, it was it was not good. I uh, I was a little embarrassed by that. Now I was digitally, so it wasn't on live TV. Okay. So I had the produ- producers edit it out after when it made the live TV, but. Yeah, those are two things that I was, I was really, really, really impressed. Uh, uh, was that that one uh, expletive, I guess I'll call it, was that just like in the moment, in the spirit, it just came out and you're just like, oh, crap. I combined two words, that's all it was. I had the thought of a kicker and a punter, <laughs> and, I, and I combined the two words for some reason because the guy that was kicking was both the place kicker and the punter. So, I uh, yeah, for some reason, I got logged up and uh, combined two words and... Uh, yeah, I'm doing the math in my head right now. I think I got it. <laughs> yeah, if, 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 if anyone wants to, if, if anyone wants to, to be walked through it, uh, I guess you could say, like they, they say, it's it's considered "see you next Tuesday." See you <laughs> next Tuesday. It's the abbreviation of that. Uh, it was it, it was not one of my finer moments. I was uh, I was embarrassed, and oddly enough, I think only one other person caught it, but I I sure did because. I was the guilty party. <laughs> hey, you're still here, though. You're still here. Uh, last question for you before I let you go. For you moving forward in broadcasting, in radio, whichever network it's for, what do you think your biggest goal is moving forward? Uh, well, I have two goals. Uh, my, I, I guess a passionate goal of mine is to call an Olympic event. I don't care if it's winter or summer Olympics. Yeah. I, I definitely want to call an Olympic event. Uh, I've always been fond of, of calling something for, for NBC, and there's nothing like calling an Olympic event for your country. So I've, I've always been passionate about that, and I've always looked at that as when you get to that level and you call an Olympic event, you're, you're doing something right, and you're on someone's radar that's, that's the right way. Uh, the other one is, that, is I want to work on a, on a regular basis for either a regional network or, or a team. And, and I want to be considered one of those guys that you can plug in in any kind of sport and he'll call a good game. Yeah. Um, one guy that comes to my mind immediately is Kenny Albert. Kenny Albert does football, baseball, basketball, hockey, boxing, and he is always working, and he is always hustling, and that's the guy I'd like to, to emulate because well, there's a lot of people that can do football, there's a lot of people that can do basketball, but there's not a lot of people that can do hockey, baseball, basketball effectively, and I, I believe that I can and I have in the past. It's just about doing it for a, a major network on the regular um, no matter where I'm at. And, like, by major network, do you, like, mean, like, ESPN, Fox Sports, or, like, a, a team network, like a specific team that you'd want to broadcast for? Well, if, you, if you're crossing over from sport to sport, yeah, it'd be for a major network. So ESPN, CBS, Fox, NBC, um, all of those. Uh, you get plenty of people that cross over the networks, of course, TNT or TBS. Um, I, I grew up as a... I grew up here in L.A., so I yeah. supported all the local teams except for football. I was a huge Broncos fan. I, I guess if there was just some kind of dream, I know the networks call those games, but 
called in to call a Denver Broncos game on radio, that would be, yeah, that'd be, uh, that would be awesome. That would be, uh, that'd be quite a treat. Now, were the Rams around when you were growing up, or were they already in St. Louis at that point? Or you just didn't like the Rams? No, they were, yeah, they were, they were around. Raiders and Rams were around, but I grew up as a Denver Broncos fan. I, it was pretty funny. I had a, in, in fourth grade, when I started liking sports, um, my my teacher at the time assigned all of us in this class a book report that was due the next Monday. This was on a Friday. And obviously none of us wanted to participate in it. And she says, okay, I'll tell you kids what. If you pick the winner of the Super Bowl uh, on Monday, you don't have to do the book report. So <laughs> we all went one by one picking the, the winner of the Super Bowl. And every single person in the class picked the same team. So I wanted to be different. I was like, screw it. I'm going to be the smartest guy in this class. I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to pick Denver. Well, it was the Super Bowl that Denver played San Francisco and got blown out 55-10. And so I was the only idiot in class that had to do this book report. <laughs> so I, I thought, you know what? I, I stuck with them. When things went bad for me, I'm going to stick with them throughout. And I was a huge John Elway fan growing up, too. So that's oh, yeah. You can't go wrong with him. I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a Cowboys fan. I grew up in Jersey. Everybody in my family's Giants fans. Uh, it was like a Giants-Cowboys game. Uh, one of the first few years in the new AT&T Stadium, and I don't know. I was fighting with someone in my family, and the Cowboys won on a game-winning field goal. Everyone was angry, and that's when I started watching football. So I was just like, you know what? I'm a Cowboys fan, and I've been a Cowboys fan ever since. <laughs> well, David, thanks so much for taking time out of your night to talk to me. I always say that these are going to be like 20 minutes, and then I always go over like 50. So uh, thanks thanks for hanging in there with me, and uh, again, enjoy the rest of your night, man. Yeah, you too, Jack. Have a good one. Thanks. I'm so Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.